Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's national feminist current affairs programs, produced by women and gender diverse broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin lands and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Senya. On today's show, we chat with Domina Gia, a sex worker and artist based in Honolulu, Oahu, Hawaii. We chat about their zine, Be Easy, Stay Safe, Volume 2, which features around 20 contributors from all facets of the sex worker industry, including strippers, dancers, cam models, sugar babies, dominatrixes, and more. Let's hear from Gia. Hi, my name is Gia. I use they and them pronouns. Um, I'm calling in from Honolulu, Hawaii, specifically the island of Oahu. Um, And yeah, but I spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in other parts of the U.S., uh, more specifically New York City, but now I'm based in Honolulu. Great. It's great to have you on uh, Women on the Line. So you recently released your zine, Be Easy, Stay Safe, Volume 2, which makes me actually really curious about Volume 1. Can you tell us about uh, these series of zines? Sure. So um, I think it was 2018 I released a zine called Be Easy, Stay Safe, uh, Volume 1, with the intention of knowing that there would be multiple volumes. And the first volume was around the time that Festa Sosta came out or was, was about to be administered, or I don't know the correct usage of the word, but it, it was about to be placed, um, and it was about to affect a bunch of sex workers, and there was a lot of information online that was being wiped off the internet, like off of Craigslist, off of like even resources were being wiped off the internet, which I thought was really um, unfair and really um, unsafe for a lot of sex workers, so I preserved as much as I could, and hand wrote a bunch of these phone numbers, addresses, and names of organizations onto pieces of paper. I collaged it. I included condoms. Um, mostly it was just like a resource pamphlet, but it was still in like a zine format. So, And the name Be Easy, Stay Safe comes from when I first started working. I would have a friend who passed away um, who would always tell me to be easy, and it was his way of saying, like, take care. Um, and then, of course, the stay safe component is mostly about the contents of the first volume were ways that sex workers could stay safe. And I understand, you know, the industry of sex work is not always super safe. So, um, and maybe the the idea of safe spaces doesn't actually really exist, but uh, it was my way of telling sex workers or uh, encouraging sex workers to stay safe as possible by like reading the scene and preserving online resources. So um, that's where the title comes from. And then, uh, the first volume was, it was really like bare bones. <laughs> I like went to this anarchist like printmaking workshop that later I never would work with again because I think the person may have been a neo-Nazi. <laughs> and, um, oh uh, anyway, yeah, it was, I, I like, when I picked up all the zines, I realized I saw, looked at his tattoos a little closer and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I just worked with a neo-Nazi. But um, anyway, I, I, uh, I don't have any copies of the first zine anymore, and I'm I'm very happy with this next uh, this current volume because it's a little bit more collaborative. And although it doesn't have resources on how to stay safe, I did include an interview where I asked two folks on how they stay safe. Yeah, um, I'm very uh, interested in you know preserving online resources in the context of sex workers accessing yeah resources online. 
mm-hmm. um, because the internet is such a like a fleeting, ever changing space. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about like creating a zine in terms of like the distribution of yeah these resources that you were finding online? Did you find that you were able to reach uh, a lot of sex workers or yeah what was your kind of goal in distributing the zine? Yeah, so at the time I was still not really like I didn't really have a sex working community. I was very isolated. Sometimes the sex work industry can be very siloed. And especially if you're an independent worker and you don't work like out of a house or something like you, you spend a lot of time alone and just with the individual clients. So I, part of making the first zine was uh, my, uh, my effort to reach out to community members and get to know other community members. But selfishly, the first zine was really catered to resources that were helpful to me. Like I think I included um, an organization from New York called Womankind that I believe like helps or, or like caters towards Asian sex workers or Asian people. Um, and, you know, not everybody who's a sex worker is Asian, so it's not super relevant to everyone. But I did try to include other just general resources that were helpful for me. And there were all things that I was personally vetting. Um, and I would show up to uh, events specifically at this space called uh, New Women's Space in in Brooklyn, New York, I think, oh, yes. uh, and they were ho- they were hosting some like events that were um, for sex workers, but wasn't explicitly said so. You just kind of had to know. Maybe they put like a a red umbrella on the flyer or something, or there was some sort of word on there that you knew, like oh, this is for sex workers. So I would show up to those events and I would pass out the zines because again, the zine was very like bare bones. It wasn't like something I would charge anybody for, but I it did take a lot of money to print them, so I was accepting donations. But I would give it I would give it to, for free to any QT BIPOC person that identified as a sex worker. But, like, if they were white, I would be like, can you please donate something? Um, so I um, – that that was the only way I was distrib- distributing it. I would just hand it out. And then I was part of a collective of artists called the Disclaimers, and we had a – we used to have a gallery inside of um, a venue called Silent Barn in, in Brooklyn, New York. And we used to do a lot of tabling events for art and zines, so they would table my zines. And I don't think they sold very much, but that's okay because I think the events that we were tabling at were catered towards like more like artists and creators and it wasn't really for sex workers. So I did get it out directly to sex workers like by hand and in person. Um, so it was, you know, it got into the hands of the, the correct people, but it wasn't as widely distributed as say the volume two is right now. Yeah. And on volume two, I mean, from reading it, there's a lot, you have like around was it 20 contributors to the zine? I think so, yeah, yeah. 20 and including myself. Mm, and there's a lot of, like, stories from different kinds of workers in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Could you talk more about, like, engaging with, uh, yeah, various workers from all over the industry? Yeah, so I think that there is a story or a, a con- contribution from almost every type of worker, like dancers, dominatrixes, escorts, um, the only one that I didn't include that I wish I did were phone sex operators, but I think a lot of folks who are like full-time workers often do maybe like Night Flirt or Sex Panther and also have phone lines, but they didn't talk about their phone experiences, which is fine. But um, what else? Am I? Oh, Sugar Babies, I believe, is in there. There's a Sugar Baby in there. They didn't explicitly say that they were, but I know that they are just because I knew them already. Um, and... 
if I'm missing any, I'm sorry, but I, I try to include as many different types of worker, workers as possible. Um, and what initially, I did an open call on my Instagram. I, I uh, made a flyer uh, asking any anybody that works in the sex industry or the sex trades to submit their experiences for a chance to be given $150 stipend for their contribution is selected. And I think I got about 50 entries, and I selected wow. – I was supposed to only select 10 to 15 or 10 to 12, but I there was so good that I selected 18 and then interviewed two people. So there's 20 entries or 20 contributors. It's great that there was so much interest. I mean, just hearing the evolution from volume one to volume two, how many years has it been since between the volumes? So if it's 2023 now, and I think I released the first volume in 2018, and then I, the, to give a little bit of background, too, I got an artist grant in 2019 from the Effing Foundation, um, and that's what allowed me to pay everybody that contributed. Um, but initially, I was going to use that money to do an in-person uh, event for sex workers where I would do uh, live embroidery on people's undergarments, and I was going to interview the two uh, folks that are included in it, which is Yin Q and Ashley Chubby Bunny, um, they were going to do a live panel, but because of COVID, uh, we couldn't do a live event anymore, and I just had to brainstorm, and it took me three years to figure out, like, oh, I should just do a volume two of the zine. I mean, it didn't take me the three years to, like, brainstorm it. I just, you know, COVID really impacted everybody that I did. I just put the entire grant on a hold, and then finally when the grant directors reached out to me, they're like, hey, well, you still have this money sitting here. What do you want to do with it? And I was like, oh, I should do a zine. So um, in 2019, sorry, I got the grant in 2019. I started working on the zine in 2022. Um, so I took a little bit of a break. From 2018 to 2022, there was nothing. And now it's something. So it took it took quite a bit. Yeah. But I love hearing how, like, the first one you were saying it was more for you and how um... – Perhaps at that time you're a bit more isolated in your work, and mm-hmm. now in those years, they, it sounds like yeah, you've been able to build a, more of a community, whether that mm-hmm. be online or in person. Um, mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit to that experience of yeah, building a community of other sex workers? Yeah, it's it was so. I don't know the word to describe it, but I felt so held every time I would get a submission, and I felt so like seen or I felt like I was seeing other people in a way like virtually that was very uh, endearing and touching because I personally like outside of sex work I I identify as an artist specifically a textile and performance artist and I'm the type of artist that believes that art needs to be made to bring people and communities together and needs to reflect communities so I think that this particular volume um is a huge reflection of the work that I try to achieve as an artist that it 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 eventually started to translate into my my sex work too that I do it for community and I like to joke like I haven't been a sex worker for the past three years i I kind of took a break um but I want to reenter into the industry and I joke that I'm gonna be a sex worker for the people and um I'm kind of privileged enough right now where I don't need to do it for the money and for survival because I have a full time job like a civilian job. But if I were to start working again, I would raise a bunch of money for mutual aid efforts and donate it to all these, like, sex worker organizations that I would like 
and I would like force my clients to basically pay their bills. <laughs> so I, um, I just feel more involved in the community now, not just through art, but like through sex work. And uh, it's very much reflected in the zine that there's like this common thread of kind of like pride in what we do as sex workers that um, feels very communal and very safe. Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line. You just heard our conversation with Domina Gia, a sex worker and artist based in Honolulu, Oahu, Hawaii. We are chatting about their zine, Be Easy, Stay Safe, Volume 2, which features stories and art by around 20 sex workers on Total Island across the United States. Let's continue to hear from Gia. One of the first pieces earlier on is about the the um the illustrations about being a dancer stripper yeah and just even learning about like the specificities of working in that industry mm-hmm. um something um yeah I hadn't heard of before and I feel like reading submissions from um different workers really can build solidarity amongst other, For sure. other workers so yeah it's something that I thought was really cool do you have particular like hopes for the zine in terms of distribution or where you would like it for it to go? Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to reach all the cities of where the contributors are from. Um, mm. So definitely, there's a bunch of folks from Hawaii that are in there. I think seven of them are. And I did that on purpose because um, 
we're throwing a party for the release of the zine um, at a gallery in Hawaii called Aupuni Space, and they really wanted the work that they're very much about building community too through the events that they organize, and they wanted to make sure that the people in the zine were from here, and I said, of course they are, and I didn't do that. I didn't select seven or eight of them because they're from Hawaii and because they were my friends, their work just happened to be really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to show, I feel like Hawaii Hawaii sex workers don't often get a lot of representation. They often get drowned out by like anti-sex working organizations. So um, I really wanted to highlight them. So there are a lot of entries from folks in New York. There's a lot of entries from people in Hawaii uh, I did want it to reach New York, specifically New York, uh, the Bay Area, Hawaii, and Texas. Um, like, I know Texas is really big, but uh, Swap USA is based in Dallas, Texas, and they offered to distribute the zines. So it's going to be in – thank you. Um, so Swap USA is going to distribute it in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Blue Stockings just picked it up in New York City in the Lower East Side, Uh, They're going to have about seven copies, like, next week. Uh, There's a distribution company or a collective called Brown Recluse Distro that only, based in uh, Oakland, that only distributes zines from people of color and that cover topics that are radical, such as sex work. So they they reached out to me and said that they wanted to um, purchase about 10 to distribute. So they're going to have some. Even though it's still going through their review process, I'm pretty sure it's going to pass because they reached out to me. Um, so there's so those those what is that four Dallas, New York, Oakland, Honolulu. So that's four places it's going to be available in. And then um, it's accessible. I don't prefer to do this, but people can just DM me and I'll mail it to them if they pay for postage and pay for a copy. I don't prefer to do it because if everybody were to do that, I would be in and out of the post office every day, and I don't like doing that. Um, But I'm still looking for, like, a distribution place in L.A., even though nobody from L.A. is in the zine. I just think that there's a huge community of workers in L.A. that would like to read this. Um, But, yeah, I, I generally, like, the people who reposted my flyer, I when I when the zine was still in open call submission format, were were mostly in um, Baltimore. Also, I think I want to find a distribution place in Baltimore, but Baltimore, um, New York, and uh, the Bay Area and Hawaii was where it circulated the most, and that's where I got the most entries from. Amazing. Um, I think, like, to wrap up, I'd love to just hear you read your submission in the zine. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> the, the, uh, the story, the, the yeah, the, the story one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, give me one second. I'm going to find mm-hmm. it. It's really funny because I I never really write. I write a lot privately. Um, I never wrote out a scene so for context, yeah, I wrote out a uh, an alien abduction fantasy scene um, that for for the zine scene a scene for the zine, <laughs> um, and I I like recently just started really getting into alien abduction ideas, and um, I'm in the process of rebranding myself as a sex worker as I'm about to re-enter the industry, um, and I think I'm going to make my Forte or like uh, specialty, like uh, kidnapping and abduction fantasies centered around like sci-fi 
I'm not a huge like sci-fi nerd, but I'm very interested in the supernatural or like the out of this world <laughs> elements of things. So I, um, I've been watching a lot of like documentaries on conspiracy theories on aliens, and it's I I just find it so sexy and erotic, and I don't think it's supposed to be, but I'm just I guess a freak like that. <laughs> so I, um, I yeah. So I I wrote this uh, this story called A Very Close and Hot Encounter, and I signed it as my my regular name. So if you purchase the zine, you'll find out my regular name. <laughs> but um, yeah, as, as I said, this is a potential rebranding strategy for me. So, um, okay, here I go. I'll start reading it. Uh, a very close and hot encounter. Luminous Gray is a xenogender exotic creature who is quite literally out of this world. Its skin is a lifeless tint of gray, but it is shimmery and slippery to the touch. The glare from its large, glassy, bulbous eyes are penetrative, piercing, and ominous. Its permanent furrowed brow angle, brow angle is so high that the arch of its gaze is sharper than a knife. The holes for its nose, with minimal to no cartilage surrounding the orifices, are too small to even thread a needle into. Its lips are thin and sealed tight, allowing an ever-so-soft purr to seep through the slit across its face. It hails from a planet so far from Earth, so foreign to any humanoid, so vast in the sky that any submissive will shriek with terror if abducted into its lanky arms and transported into its hot rod of a ship. Take me to your leader, says Sub-J. Kidnap me from my mundane existence here on planet Earth. Take me as your captive. Probe me with your long fingers and make me your bottom bitch. Telepathically, Dominus Gray locks minds and thoughts with Sub-J and communicates to them that it is curious about their belly button as a gaping hole that goes nowhere, located in the center of their body. Gray is convinced that the belly button is an actual button that, if pressed and wiggled, leads to undeniable and insatiable pleasure. Gray tells Sub-J that it will start at the center of the body as an entry point. Gray mentally prepares them to have their hole entered. Dominus Gray, with no change in its expression, extends its long fingers into even longer branches that are now streaming out of its tips. These branches begin oozing, arousing goo to lubricate the slow entry into Sub-J's belly button. The sound of the branches emerging from the fingertips sounds like crunchy and rubbery, lubricated latex stretching and snapping between taut and loose. Sub-Jay salivates with anticipation as the branches ooze out of Gray's limbs and steady and become erect and shinier as the light hits them ever so perfectly. They grow and grow at a steady pace until finally it's throbbing and full of goo. Please, Dominus Gray, I can't wait any longer, Sub-Jay begs. Have mercy on me as this is my first time. Just as Gray hears this, its branch grows a couple more centimeters in size out of the idea that it would be deflowering an extraterrestrial version. Gray takes the tip of its finger branch and inserts itself into the top of Subjay's cylindrical hole. Boo drips into the center of Subjay's belly button, and it slides down each line and curve. Subjay whimpers from the cold temperature of the goo, but they grip the vinyl bed and they lay upon, that they lay upon as tightly as possible out of sensation. Gray swirls its tip around the circumference of the belly button before fully exploring deeper into the hole. Gray presses harder and applies more pressure into the tip of their branch and reaches a wall of skin. The skin-to-skin contact makes Subjay quiver so softly that their body begins to vibrate with excitement. Dominus Gray digs its tip harder and deeper this time that the belly button begins to stretch wide open. Gray pushes deep and applies a strong amount of pressure with its tip, with its with its sticky tip into Sub-J's belly button hole, that the blunt tip begins to insert itself into Sub-J's womb. 
Gray salivates from its tight lips as it explores the insides of Subjay. Dominus Gray makes its way around Subjay's guts and finds a perfectly warm spot to lay its eggs. The cold goo turns lukewarm in temperature as five perfectly round eggs plop within the stomach of Subjay. Subjay lets out a loud roar from their drooling mouth out of them coming and their immense amount of fear with what may come next. Dominus Gray telepathically tells Subjay that they will be the carrier of to five extraterrestrial kin and should expect a birth from the belly button within 10 days. Gray's branches and tips are still swirling around the inside of their tummy, but the sensation is soothing and Subjay receives the be- this belly button rub as a form of aftercare. Subjay grabs onto Dominus Gray's limbs and begs for them to move slower and exit their body with ease and more lubrication. Dominus Gray nods and slowly takes out their tip from the center of Subjay's belly button. The button begins to snap shut and Dominus Gray seals, with op- seals the open wound with carefully drawn stitches. Subjay gets lightheaded from the pure bliss that they just experienced and Gray backs away from Subjay's body from its top high. Wow, that was incredible, says Subjay. When can I see you again? I'll abduct you again in 10 days for the hatching, says Gray telepathically. And that's it. That's my fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I especially love the egg part. Also, (laughs) you know, I could totally tell, like, if I just saw this random, I don't know, randomly floating around, I can definitely tell it's written by a sex worker because, you know, you talk about, like, aftercare and yeah, also the power dynamics as well, and mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that yes, those were the the hints for me. <laughs> it's funny because I wrote in if you read in the bio section, I put a short bio like very little about myself, um, but I did say like if you're interest if this like is interesting to you, I am both the the submissive and the dominant in this story, but I am willing to switch. Like I, if anybody wants to play this out with me, like. DM me. <laughs> I love it. That's in the bio? Yeah. Or something like that. It's something right. like that. That's great. <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, joining me on Women on the Line. Um, yeah. We'll have to get some copies in Australia. Are you imagining that maybe you'll make it, um, make a digital version at some point or just physical for now? So um, I'm thinking about making it digital just to make it more accessible to folks. Um, I did want to mention earlier, I forgot to mention that this was a project brought on by, you know, the Effing Foundation, and for some reason they only allowed the contributors to be from the U.S., but if there was another international art organization that supports sex-positive art mm-hmm. that I could apply for, then, yeah, I would definitely, like, try to make this a national, um, you know, I'm sorry, not a national, uh, a global mm. kind of project. Um, I'm definitely going to let you know if it becomes accessible online so y'all can distribute it online or I could send you some copies but mm. in the future I'm working on it so that folks from Australia and I got some people from like Berlin and China that were like interested in oh, uh, submitting but I'm like I'm so sorry for some reason I cannot yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so in the future I'm working on it and that's all for women on the line today we spoke with Domina Gia a sex worker and artist based in Honolulu, Oahu, Hawaii. Their zine, Be Easy, Stay Safe, Volume 2, features stories and art by around 20 sex workers across the US. Follow their work on Instagram at gingivitis underscore. 
Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. The theme music for Women Online is by Ripley Kavara. The song featured on today's episode was This Dyke by Kim Mortal. I'm Senya, and tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.